sitting in an, a movie theater. <clears throat> the lights have gone down and the previews have run and you've seen the THX animation and you've seen the Pixar animation and you've seen the Walt Disney logo and then the screen goes black and you hear a voice and it says, speed, I am speed. And then on the screen, your senses are blasted by the sights and sounds as if you're on the inside of a racetrack and all the cars are going, shoo, 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 shoo. and it goes back to black. That's the beginning of the animated movie Cars. I've seen it more times than I want to realize. <clears throat> Soon after, you know, after a couple of these back and forth kinds of things, you, you meet the arrogant owner of this voice. And it is the rookie race car, Lightning McQueen. He could be, he's one race away, he thinks, from being the first rookie ever to win the Piston Cup. Now, already having fired several pit crew chiefs this year, Lightning McQueen's goal is to win at any cost. Well, the Apostle Paul's goals have been similar. To win the race of righteousness at any cost. He lists his credentials for us in this passage from Philippians. He, Philippians, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, he's a Pharisee. As for zeal, he's one who has been persecuting the Christian church. As far as legalistic righteousness, he is faultless. I can hear him saying, righteous. I am righteous. Undergrad degree, Yale. Graduate degrees, Oxford and Harvard. No arrests, never smoked marijuana. But, he says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All these credentials, all this self-righteousness, whatever was in the profit column has been moved over to the loss column because, he says, the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord outweighs anything that I used to consider worthwhile. All of that can be towed away to the dump on the Waistline Express. It's nothing but rubbish. How can Paul say that? How can nothing matter to him anymore except knowing Jesus Christ is his Lord? What gives him the courage to let go of all of his power to help others know about Jesus' power? And love. Paul had experienced a conversion. And in his special experience with Jesus Christ, he had learned that value is not where it initially appears. 
Paul beckons us to consider what we value and why, as does today's story from John's Gospel. The setting is six days prior to the Passover feast. People are wondering whether Jesus is going to come to Jerusalem for the feast because after he just raised Lazarus from the dead, the religious leaders are after him. They don't want this kind of power out and about. But Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem nevertheless, and he stops at the home of his good resuscitated friend Lazarus and Lazarus' sisters Mary and Martha. As you hear the gospel passage now, listen especially for what Mary values and what Judas values. John 12, 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. John tells us he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Here ends the reading of the gospel. Mary of Bethany performs a surprising act of worship for Jesus. Her act of worship, her act of devotion was also a preparation for Jesus, foreshadowing what was ahead for him. Most of us have long-distance friends or family come and spend the night with us from time to time. We clean, we spray, we plan a menu and buy the food. When they come and our house looks nice and our guests feel welcomed, we are happy and fulfilled. The extra work was worth it. A few weeks ago, our four-year-old son Noah was welcomed into the home of a neighbor for the first time. Talking about it later that day, he commented, I want to live there. Mary of Bethany understood that Jesus had been preparing a spiritual home for her and others. She walked into this home and found it welcoming and so beautiful that she wanted to live there forever. She found value in the simple presence of Jesus. 
And yet she understood that this gift could not last. She understood how fragile life is because a few days prior, she had been grieving the death of her brother Lazarus. And then what a gift she had him back again. So Mary understood something about death and something too about Jesus coming death. So she performed this act of worship, this act of devotion by bringing out perfume, which on today's market might bring twenty or $30,000. In John's gospel, she didn't anoint Jesus' head with it, which would have been an anointing or a, a preparation for leadership. She anointed Jesus' feet with it, which was a preparation for burial. Somehow Mary understood the deeper meanings of death and of life and of grateful worship. She understood Jesus' deeper value. A few miles north of the North Carolina border on State Route 8 is an old farmhouse. It was built over a hundred years ago by my great-grandfather. When my mom inherited the farmhouse in 1980, it was a wreck. Termites had eaten up through some of the walls. A weed had grown up from outside, up the outside of the chimney, down the chimney on the inside, and out into the living room. (laughs) It had been rented out to people who couldn't afford anything better, and they treated it as if it were worthless. When we started driving the hour to the farmhouse from Danville on Saturdays to do some repairs, it was almost overwhelming. Besides those things, the dining room sloped at a grade that would be dangerous for truckers. In one bedroom, it looked like someone had been sitting in, in the bed on one side of the room, drinking beer, and then tossing the empty cans into the hole in the drywall on the other side of the room. And I won't tell you what we found around the hole in the ceiling. That would be uncouth. But for over 25 years, my parents have been doing things to this farmhouse. It's still standing. They have replaced drywall, painted, had the front and side porches replaced, drilled a new well, put in a shower stall, replaced windows. Any appraiser would say, tear it down. It's not worth anything. It's not worth saving. But there is value in that house. Besides the childhood memories, including the one where dad picked up mom for their first date, it has been a great place for family gatherings and picnics. The house is a retreat where one can rest and read and watch the bluebirds and the cows in the field and hear the rain fall on the tin roof. It has value beyond money. Value beyond efficiency.
Now say that we have cleaned our house for our guests, the corners and underneath the furniture. We have put freshly laundered sheets on the bed and prepared a delicious meal and our house guests to be call at the last minute and someone is sick. They can't come. How do we feel? Okay, in some sense relieved. But we also feel let down, disappointed, maybe even slightly rejected. This is how I imagine Jesus feeling when Judas rejects Mary's act of worship. Judas is interested in efficiency, it appears. He's interested in practical things. He keeps the money bag for Jesus' small band. And the gospel writer notes that Judas Judas used to pilfer a little bit for his own pocket. Still, I think it's important to face that sometimes we see worship in a way similar to Judas. Because worship is inefficient. Worship is impractical. Think about it. To come here and be signaled when to stand and when to sit by some lady's hand. To come to a place that invites you to leave your money here without sending you home with a shopping bag with something inside. To sing songs that you don't know and don't particularly want to learn. To do some of the same things week after week or month after month, even year after year. Shouldn't we be home cleaning our house? Doing laundry? That would be a much more efficient use of our time. Shouldn't we be working on our yard or sleeping in or relaxing? After all, we call this the day of rest. Our Sabbath, the Lord's Day. By showing up for church, are we just adding jewels to the crowns we hope to receive when we die? One thing I noticed in this week's Transformation Journal study of the Sabbath is that it's not, as we call it, simply a day of rest. It's a day of rest devoted to God. Our society has made that very challenging on Sundays with kids' athletic events and the malls and other stores open for us to get things done, weekdays too full to get enough done then. So it falls to Sunday. Some of you heard Dee Dee Hoosier when she was here for our Women's Missionary Union Sunday several weeks ago. In our conversation before worship, she was telling me about one Sunday morning when she and her husband Danny had gone to their son's baseball tournament. She said she recalled looking down at her watch and she noticed it was 11 o'clock. And she said, it just felt wrong. Now, was that just simply Protestant guilt? Or was it something of greater value that they were missing? On the way home, Dee Dee and Danny conversed and discovered that they both had felt the exact same way. And so they committed to not do that again. They placed a greater value on being together with their family and worshiping God than on their son's baseball league. Well, isn't that inefficient? 
Now their son may not get a college scholarship. Now his friends may disdain him. Now Dee Dee and Danny won't fit in with some of the parents in their community. They made a choice to value worship of God over what most of society places in the profit column. They count it as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, their Lord. Worship is our offering to God. While we tend to want to get something out of it, to get inspiration or strength for the week ahead or some interesting tidbit of information that would make our lives better and more clutter-free, that is not our primary purpose for being here. Our purpose for being here is to offer ourselves to God. We are here to recognize the many gifts that God has given us and to say thank you. And then perhaps to offer ourselves again to God to help us in those days ahead be more committed, more devoted, more worshipful, even beyond these walls. This God we worship gives us life. This God brings, bad, brings good things out of bad. This God we worship brings life out of death. Now, this isn't the only place we worship God, but we have found this to be a safe place to pull ourselves away from our everyday distractions and focus solely on God. Back to that animated film, Cars. Among the things leading to Lightning McQueen's conversion throughout the film is learning that Doc, the gruff town mechanic, had won three Piston Cups back in the 1950s. And now these cups sit around the garage. One of them has tools in it, and the other two are just thrown off into a corner. It's nothing but an empty cup, Doc says. Later, as Lightning McQueen is on the verge of winning this year's Piston Cup, he gives up the victory to help his stranded competitor. When this competitor, who has just gone through a terrifying Richard Petty crash, gasps, Son, you just gave up the Piston Cup. Lightning repeats Doc's comment that, it's nothing but an empty cup. What do you value? A clean house? Rest? Do you value efficiency? Perfection? Knowledge? Is there a chance that one day you could find that that is nothing but an empty cup? Let's take our cue from Mary of Bethany and Paul of Damascus that though worship may seem inefficient, everything else is lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you don't know Christ Jesus our Lord, 
You can. You have an opportunity every second of every day to release your control and your power on the things that the world considers profit, place those in the lost column, accept Jesus, and know how great that feels.